Turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 15. Wow. He'll settle down. Well, how many would say that you would like more faith than what you have? How many would be interested in having more faith? I see half a hand. How about a whole hand? Anyone? What would you do with more faith? Would you see more miracles and more provision, more answers to prayer? Seems to me what there is great faith. We'll talk about that this morning. And then there's little faith. Jesus said, oh, you have little faith several times. But he also said that if you had the faith the size of a grain of mustard seed, which is a little tiny mustard seed, little tiny seed, if you had faith that big, you could move mountains. There we go. If you had the faith the size of a mustard seed, you can accomplish great things with that. So often it's not that we need more faith or bigger faith or more muscle-bound faith. We need to use what we have. We need to start with right where you're at. And God has given a seed of faith to everyone, but it's using it. And, and I think that's the bigger issue than having more. It's using what we've been given. And so that's a good place to start. But there is great faith. There's a couple moments in Scripture when Jesus mentioned that he saw great faith. He marveled at it. You know, one of the stories is the story of the centurion. His daughter's uh, dying. She's very, very sick. And the Jews went to Jesus and said, this guy is worthy of your, your, uh, your going to his house and healing his daughter. He's helped us. He's given us a synagogue. And they go through the whole list of things that he's done that makes him worthy of Jesus coming to the guy's house. But then the guy actually sent a message to Jesus and said, you don't have to come to my house. I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy. Faith is based on our worthiness. Most of us are never worthy enough. But the man said this, the Gentile centurion, he said this. He says, I know how this thing works. He says, I'm a man in authority and under authority. I have people under me. I have people over me. I know how, how this thing works. If someone says, do this, you just do it because you're under authority. He said, just speak the word, Jesus, and my daughter will be healed. And Jesus stopped, and he marveled. He actually drew the crowd's attention. He says, he called everyone to stop and think about it. He says, this is great faith. I've never heard such great faith in all of Israel. And all the Jewish leaders are standing there, and they're not operating in that kind of faith. They're operating on whether or not you deserve it, whether or not you merit it, whether or not you've earned enough points to get him to answer your prayer. Jesus marveled that this centurion, this Gentile Roman soldier, understood how faith works. And he said, this is great faith. So there is great faith. And Jesus is listening. And he, he, he stopped everything because he heard it. The other story of great faith is uh, what's called the Syrophoenician woman. And there's a place called the Phoenician coast. It's today it's called the Gaza Strip. And Jesus, his mandate was to preach 
the good news of the kingdom to all of the children of Israel. So he's walking over all of Israel. He's gone to the north. He's gone to the south. Now this is as far uh, to the, to the uh, east that he could go. He's going to the very coast, the very out, outside edge of Israel. He's going to Sidon and Tyre. And so he's going to fulfill his mandate that he's to preach the gospel to the Jews. And he's doing this on foot. He's walking everywhere. And he gets over there with his disciples, and they're having a meal in between meetings. I expect that's, that's, that's how I imagine it. That's when I meditate on this. Is my movie version of it is they're having a meal together. And there's a woman at the doorpost, and she's wailing. And then she goes into a whimper. And then she wails again because her daughter has been taken over by a demon. She's demon-possessed. She's tormented. And she's saying, Jesus, you son of David, have mercy on me. And that usually moves his heart. She's not a Jewish person, but she understands who he is. She recognizes that he's the son of David, which is the Messiah. I picture them having a meal. If you can imagine a big community uh, plate of food, and you take some bread, and you break it down. You, you take the bread, and you grab some food with, with the bread, and you eat it that way. You're eating with your hands. And you can picture 13 guys around a big plate of food, and they're, they're trying to have a meal. They're just trying to have a break in between ministry times. And this woman is, is constantly crying out. And she's wailing at times. And it goes down to a whimper and back up to wailing. And if you can imagine, you're trying to have a meal. And Jesus just keeps eating. He doesn't say, and the scripture says, you can read this for yourself. He doesn't say anything. The disciples can't stand it after a while. And it says, they, they asked him, send her away. Do something. I can picture some of them rolling their eyeballs like it's just going on. It's just getting on their nerves. It just goes on. She won't quit. She won't stop. And she's just going on and on. And Jesus is just going, doing what he's doing. Finally, they urged him, do something. Send her away. So Jesus has to explain to her that he's come for the children of Israel not for the whole world at that point in time. And so he says, he says, it's not right to give the food that's intended to the children to dogs. He's not calling her a dog, but he's trying to frame it like that's what it would be like. And she, she gets that. I could see her just shaking her head saying, oh, yes, yes, I, I understand that. But even puppies, even little puppies go under the table and they eat the crumbs that fall from the table, even puppies get to eat a little bit of crumbs. And when Jesus heard that, it just hit him right in the heart because he hears faith. <clears throat> and he marvels. And he says, go your way. Your daughter's completely healed. And she was healed from that moment on. Jesus was under a mandate of the Father, but he said, the Father will understand that I'm, I'm supposed to be doing this to this people. But he understands, I, I, can't, I can't resist faith. When he heard her not taking no for an answer, finding a way to his heart, he had to respond.
And he'll do the same with you. He responds to you. When he hears faith, it moves his heart. When he hears you not taking no for an answer and staying with it and saying, this is what your word said. This is who you are. This is what you're like. I receive from you. He's so attracted to that that it moves his heart. Jesus is listening for faith, just like he was in those two instances. If you go with me to Galatians chapter 3, I'd like to show something to you that I think might be of interest to you. Galatians chapter 3, he's writing to spirit-filled Christians. Spirit-filled Christians who started off in faith and they started off by the Spirit and then they started moving to legalism and keeping the law and doing all the things right to try to get God to answer their prayers and to favor them. <clears throat> and that happens today. And it happened in the Bible. Paul even says, who bewitched you? Who tricked you into, into thinking this way? How can you start with grace and go to keeping rules? In verse 2, he said, I only want to learn from you. <clears throat> so he's asking them a question. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? That's a profound question. How do you get anything from God? Even, even the Holy Spirit. God gave the Holy Spirit to the world 2,000 years ago. But unless you receive, unless you draw from that gift that he's already given, it's in vain. These people receive the Spirit. Here they are, Gentiles, living way out, way out, long ways from Pentecost, long way from Jerusalem. But he said, you received the Spirit. Now, how did that happen? Did you do everything right, and then God gave you the Holy Spirit? Or did you ask, and he heard faith and said, give them the Holy Spirit? That's a powerful question. Look at verse 5. He continues, and he says, Therefore, he who supplies the Spirit and works miracles among you, does he do it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? He's listening for faith. He's attracted to faith. This whole faith message, I've been giving this now for a few weeks, and this will be the last in, in this series. But I think you're going to need faith in these days ahead. I think you're going to need faith to sustain you. You're going to have to know how to trust the Lord. You're going to have to know how to believe for re whatever you have need of. You're going to need this. This isn't just a nice little series. I think this is something you're going to need. You have to get exercised. It's not about doing everything right and whether or not you had devotions that week, whether, whether God will hear your prayer, or whether you broke a fast, or whether you watched too many movies. It's not about that. It's, he's listening for faith. Those things can add to your faith. They can subtract from your faith. But he's not looking at all that. He's listening for faith. And when he hears it, his heart gets so moved, everything changes. Everything changes. What a profound question. Here's what you should be asking yourself. This is what I've been asking myself these days. Have I said anything or done anything that shows Jesus that I'm believing? Can he hear faith come out of me? What I'm believing for, does he hear faith? Or does he hear double-mindedness? Double-mindedness where you hesitate, you go back and forth. Uh, I, yes, he can heal me, but I don't know if he wants to. Well, that's double-mindedness. 
What James said about double-mindedness, he says that man who's double-minded man, he should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. It's not like the Lord says, well, I, I see double-mindedness. I'm not going to participate in that. I don't think it's that. It's that our ability to receive has been hindered. Our ability to receive is impaired. And because of that, we can't actually receive what he wants for us. We, he's already promised us. He's already provided for us. It's that you can't really receive. This double-mindedness, I would, I would change that if you want it to become more practical. I would call it hesitation. Anything that makes you hesitant, rather than saying, this is what I'm going after. This is what I need. This is what I want God to do. That's what he's listening for. If you want to see hesitation, look at a squirrel crossing the road. I mean, that's, that's a good picture. When I see that, I think, man, I don't want to be that squirrel. I don't want, I, 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 that'll get you killed. I don't want to be hesitant. I want to be sure. I want to be confident. I want to have confidence in the Lord. There's a difference between confidence in ourself and confidence that comes from him. We read that. We, we worked through that sermon last week. We need confidence in the Lord. There's about four places in Scripture where Jesus said, O ye of little faith. And what's interesting about those four passages of Scripture is the word faith there is, is, is unique just to those verses. And it has to do with confidence. O ye of little confidence. He could say, don't you trust me? Don't you trust who I am? And don't you trust our relationship? Don't we have something going here? Why would you not trust me? And that part, he, is, he, he finds that really hard to believe that we wouldn't trust him after all that we've been through. It's like Peter. Peter's walking on water, and, and he sinks. He says, Lord, save me. And, and Jesus reaches down and pulls him up out of the depths and have, helps him walk on the water back to the boat. But on the way back, he says, oh, you have little faith. Like, why, why don't you trust me? Why don't you stay with me? We're, we're, we're doing something here together. Why would you withdraw your faith? And he can't quite believe it. Oh, ye of little faith. Like it's, it's something that he just can't quite believe. And I think that's a big issue, and it's going to be a big issue in the days ahead when we have to trust the Lord for, for basic things. I think there's times where he'll be he'd be absolutely surprised that we don't trust him. We don't have confidence in him. Oh, ye of little confidence. It'd be good for you to run the references on those four examples. And there's different situations. He's talking about worry. And he says, why, why worry? Why don't you trust me? Why don't you have confidence in me? Oh, ye of little confidence. I think that is on us. There's other faith. We talked about faith that comes. That's on him. But this is on us. This comes out of our relationship. <clears throat> Back in um, 1984, a lifetime ago, uh, we left Canada. Uh, we rented out our home to somebody else. And I brought my young family. I had a, a baby, a brand-new baby, and a, a toddler and a five-year-old. And... We left everything in Canada and we loaded up the car and we moved to a Bible school about an hour and a half from here. And uh, 
I felt the Lord had led us there, and it really looked like that's what he wanted us to do. And looking back on it now, we're, we're assured that that was God's leading. But at the time, it was, it was such a challenge, and we had to get across the border, and we had to go to about this Bible school. And, and um, we were there a couple of months, and I overheard one of the students said, what are you going to do for Christmas break? And, and that there's a month break at Christmas time that everyone goes home and we realize we can't go home. We don't have a home. We've rented our house out. And I double checked that. I couldn't quite believe it. No one told me that there's a month off at Christmas. And they said, yeah, it's a, it's a month-long break and you cannot stay here. You have to go back. You have to find a place to stay. Well, we didn't have a place to stay. It's like all of a sudden I'm, I'm a homeless for the first time in my life. I didn't know what to do, and I prayed and asked the Lord, show me what to do. We got talking to Heather's dad, and, and they had just, that summer, had bought a cottage up in Ontario, Canada, on the shore of Lake Ontario, a little tiny cottage, a little small, uh, kind of a shack, really. They were going to bulldoze it down and build something nice. And, and they, say, they said, that's available if you want that. But it's a summer cottage. It's not a winter cottage. It's, and you have to, it's so small, you have to go outside just to change your mind. And uh, we're, that's all we had. So that, we took it. And it's on this little one-way or little dead end. Be off of it. was a one-way dead end street. But it was, a, it was a, a dead end little laneway off a sub road that was off of a main road. We're deep in there, and we're right on the shore of Lake Ontario, and the, and the, the wind and the, the weather would come in and just dump on that little cottage. I mean, mountains of snow. I grew up in Canada, and, and we, just had, we just had incredible weather, especially on the shore of Lake Ontario. And so every day, Heather was really anxious. What if we get trapped in here? We got a month here. What if we get trapped? What if the kids get sick and we have to get to a doctor or a hospital? How would we get out? I mean, you have to keep the driveway clear. And so I'd be out there every day. My work was shoveling snow. My work was moving snow to try to keep the driveway clear so we can get our car out. And I would, I would sometimes uh, I work all day shoveling the car out, and then the next day I'd go out and it'd all be drifted back in and new snow on top of it. It was just a, such a discouraging thing. And Heather was so anxious about it. Well, what do we, we got to get groceries. We got to be able to get out. And so I, that was my, my big responsibility was keeping that driveway open. And then my lower back went out on me and I was in serious pain. I could, I could hardly stand up, much less throw a shovel full of snow, and my, it was so painful. And, and so she'd come out to shovel with me, which really broke my heart that she'd have to do that. And we would sometimes shovel just enough snow that the car, the sides of the car would scrape the snow banks on the way out. We'd back out and get out to the grocery store, whatever we had to do. And I remember one time <clears throat> uh, I did that. We got out. And I met this guy that I used to know, and, and for, he just felt led. He gave me 25 bucks. That was a lot of money back then. He gave me 25 bucks, and I took it as from the Lord. And, and I called a guy with a big snowplow, 
And I said, would you come in and plow us out? And how much would it cost? He said, well, 25 bucks. And so we had this guy come in. He had a big blade and big, big, massive truck. And he's pushing snow. And it was fantastic. He pushed all the snow away, gave us a break from having to shovel the snow. He left, and it filled back in. More wind, more snow, more drifting. And here we are right back to where we were. And, and I'd get out there and shovel just enough to get the car out again. I, <clears throat> I got out again, met somebody, and he gave me 25 bucks. And I realized the Lord's saying something. The Lord's, the Lord's in this. I mean, this doesn't happen. And so I called the guy back up and I said, would you come back and shovel us out again, plow us out again? He said, sure. And so he came in. He's pushing snow around. He's making big, big uh, um, dikes of snow and moving snow. And it was amazing. And, and then before he left, he said, I just want you to know, I'm not coming back again. This is killing my truck. This is just way too much snow. You need a backhoe. The only way you're going to get out of here is you're going to need a backhoe. There's just too much snow. And so we took that as, as final. And wouldn't you know it, it drifted all back in. Snow on top of more snow, more storms. And Heather's really uh, crying. She's upset. She's, a, she's concerned. She's just a good mom just a, a responsible person. And that put pressure on me. So I went in this little side bedroom to pray. That's all I could do. And I went in there, and my first prayer I started, I was kind of like, almost like shaking my fist and say, get us out of here. Don't you care? Don't you know? And I love the Lord, and I don't think I'd ever prayed that way before, but I was, I was in that desperation. <clears throat> I caught myself, and I realized that that's no way to pray. That's no way to talk to, to God. And instead, I, I raised my hands, and I began to worship him. And telling him how great he is, and how mighty he is, and how... Re- saying how much he cares. And it was like I was standing in a hurricane of debris, of confusion and pressure. And I just stood in the middle of that and raised my hands. And all of a sudden, the room changed. I felt like the glory of the Lord came to the room. And the Lord began to speak to my heart so clearly. And he said, you you are a father, you're a dad, and you care about your kids. Well, I'm your dad. I care about you. And it was a revelation. I mean, I could say those words, and I'd say, well, here I know that, but it's another thing to hear him speak it. It's another thing to have him communicate that all afresh in that context that he's He's my father. He knows. He cares. He really cares. And I'm just weeping. I'm just a wreck. The storm stopped. The peace came. And I'm just standing there crying and clothed with the glory of the Lord. It changed everything. As long as, as, long as he knew 
as long as he knew that's all that mattered. And I wanted to just go and hug Heather and pray in her ear and get down and tell her everything's going to be okay. The Lord spoke to me. The Lord knows. The Lord, the Lord sees. He cares. I just wanted to communicate to her that he spoke to me. I didn't even get to go. I went out of my door, and I went to go in her little room where she was resting, and I didn't even get to her door. I heard a knock at the front door, and, and, and I was just so shocked, like a knock at the door. Like, <clears throat> who knows we're here? I mean, we're in the middle of nowhere. There's no neighbors. There's nothing. And I couldn't believe there's a knock at my doors. I, I just, it was such a strange sound. And so I, I went to the door and I opened it and there's this great big guy. He filled the door and he's standing there, a complete stranger. And in behind him, I, I heard pop, 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 pop. And, and I said, yes. And he said, you're, you're, you're in here. He says, I couldn't believe that some, I saw a car. <clears throat> I couldn't believe someone was in here. I was driving my backhoe down the highway, and I felt like, what if someone's down in that laneway? What if someone's down there and they need to be plowed out? And, and he shook the thought away, and he, it came back to him. He says, okay. And he turned his backhoe around on the highway and drove down that sub-road and then down our laneway and found a car in the driveway stuck in the snow with the lights on of the house. He couldn't believe anybody would be that crazy to be in there in the middle of winter. And he, he plowed us out with his backhoe. He made a mountain of snow that was bigger than the house. And the kids played on that for the rest of the month. And that was the end of the issue. We didn't have to do it ever again. It was over. And I think, I think the big issue wasn't plowing us out. It was a revelation to know God, to know what he's really like, to know his heart. I just wanted out. He wanted to change my life. I can hardly tell that story. That was 1984. I can hardly tell that story without crying even to this day with a, a sense of my father knows. My father cares. He's not indifferent to my need. If you care, he cares. All you need to know that he cares is that the fact that you care, that you're a responsible person and you care. Amen? What are you believing for? What do you trust in the Lord for? Don't withdraw your faith. Don't just plead your way out. Don't just expect that he'll respond because of your tears or that you plead long enough or that you beg. He's listening for faith. When he hears that, heaven gets busy. Everything changes. I did the math on that. When I stopped and thought about it, I thought, boy, for that guy to come down the highway, turn around, come down, and come all the way down into the laneway, all of that, he, he might have even answered that prayer before I asked it, because he knows before I ask. But I think it was during that time of worship that everything changed.
God moved. Heaven got busy. Tells a complete stranger to turn around in his backhoe. Let's stand together. What do you need? I mean, what do you really need? Let's pray together. I'll lead you into a prayer. But why don't you pray with your own lips? Say it out loud, even. Say, Heavenly Father, I come to you. I'm struggling. I have a problem I can't change. I need a way out, and I can't make it happen. But you're so big, and you're so mighty. You can do anything. I invite you to come and take control. I invite you to come and make a way where there is no way. I worship you, and I bless you. I praise you. I know you hear me. I worship you. I thank you in advance. I thank you before. You're, I trust you. I can trust you. Thank you for looking after the struggle that I'm in. In Jesus' name. What's helpful is if you'll respond now the way you will. <clears throat> when you finally see the answer to that prayer, how are you going to respond then? You're going to raise your hands. You're going to bow before him. Are you going to profusely thank him? Why don't you do that now? Do it before you see anything. Do it on the front end of it. He loves that. He loves it when we talk that way. He takes that as confidence. Jamie Golden is a man of his word. If he says he'll do something, he'll do it. If he says he's going to be there, at this, he'll do it. He's faithful that way. He's just a man of his word. Well, our father is a man of his word. He's faithful. He's on time. He delivers. And we just have to treat him as, as, as someone who keeps his word, someone who's a faithful man. He's not a man that he would lie or the son of man, that he would do anything that would be less than faithful. Amen?